All right. Well, uh, first, uh, uh, Frame looks at uh, atheism, and atheism, uh, noted earlier, is also helpful to view the dynamics of unbelief from uh, the perspective of a more biblical categories. And he's, he points out uh, uh, both either atheism or idolatry are kind of right. the two, the, the, the two uh, uh, irrationalist uh, worldviews here in contention. Yeah, atheism, yeah. So, yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was just saying atheism can either be practical or theoretical or both is what he right. posits here. And so what he does here now is he pivots from the discussion of rationalism, irrationalism, which is kind of a secular way to, to talk about what he says, to what he has called the biblical way of talking about what he's talking about here, right. <laughs> atheism and idolatry. Right? So he's talking about the same two issues, rationalism, irrationalism, but now he's doing uh, biblical language to help us understand it from a biblical perspective. So it's atheism and idolatry. He's going to say, you know, atheism is, is attempts to act uh, rationalism, idolatry, irrational, that kind of stuff. But we'll, we'll see it as he goes. But that's what he does. He, so he pivots from this uh, discussion of rationalism, irrationalism, and now atheism and idolatry. Right. Which you, you always have to give frame credit that uh, uh, he, he always wants to bring it back to the Bible like a good Christian. And uh, <laughs> that, that's what we're asking everybody on the playing field to do is to uh, to believe in the system that you believe in and then present uh, the ideas uh, under your system so that that all systems can be looked at uh, both an uh, in, in internal critique and then we find the one uh, ones that are wanting, and then we uh, try to convince them through the uh, external critique there. Well, the theoretical atheist denies God, but the practical atheist simply, simply lives as though God did not exist. And he said he includes uh, atheism under uh, various forms of deism and theism, in which there is some kind of God who, because of his uh, transcendence, uh, modesty, or whatever, uh, has nothing to do with human life. So the, the blind watchmaker, you know, winds up the watch, sets it uh, in, in the universe and then walks, walks off stage right and uh, is never seen from again. So that's uh, that's the type of deism that uh, that I think most people um, kind of uh, um, think of there. Yeah, he, he wanders off stage, stage right. right because he's blind. So he's not really sure. He's not going to walk really fast. Right. He didn't fall <laughs> off the stage. So there, there's, there's that. <laughs> Well, he says the natural result of atheism is a loss of standards and values. Uh, we for we saw earlier that uh, they can be revealed and enforced only by the God of Scripture. And again, he's going to refer back to earlier in the books. We're going to refer back to uh, earlier episodes. Right. So that's atheism, right? On the other hand, is idolatry. He says this is the other major form of unbelief, namely giving one's ultimate allegiance to something or some being other than God, uh, the God of Scripture. This uh, allegiance might be, he tells us, to some primitive God or gods, like Zeus or Baal or Moloch or whatever, uh, to some abstract principles, uh, for instance, Plato's the good, uh, to a non-Christian religion, Buddhism, uh, even to a modern um, cultural movement, such as the New Age, or maybe to oneself, or to human reason, or whatever, he says. So the, all of these are forms of idolatry, is what he wants us to see. It's, right. an, it's um, an allegiance, an ultimate allegiance to some something other than the God of Scriptures. Right. And again, he's categorizing, which means there's definitions in place, which means uh, we have a firmer grasp on, on what at least Frame is talking about. And from there, we can 
have a better critique or uh, understanding of, of where he's coming from. Well, the total loss of meaning implicit in atheism is too much for most people to stand. They need some values, some standards, some way to orient their lives. Right. And so that's why he says then that we move to idolatry, right? right. Because <laughs> atheism is too empty and we can't really live off of it. Right? We need some values. We need some way to orient our lives. And so we can't just stick with atheism, right? And so the, his point is, so... Being humans, actually, you know, made in the image of God, we have to have some uh, way to ground ourselves. And so we move on to, uh, to idolatry. Right. Um, and uh, again, uh, he's going to, he, he um, maybe implicitly references Romans 1 here. And, and uh, it's, it's, it's something that we've talked about before of uh, th there's no one who does not worship. Uh, th there's something that's placed on, on the pedestal that's looked to. Uh, that's idealized, uh, that uh, is the standard, uh, e even if it's a mirror, even if it's, uh, you know, uh, uh, another person, um, there, there's still uh, rules by which um, people worship. And, and uh, uh, the, 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 the former three years have not uh, shirked that off in, in, in any claims whatsoever. Uh, uh, it's, it's probably only uh, bolstered the fact even more. Well, among uh, these people who continue to resist a belief in the true God becomes inconsistent with their atheism or to th uh, that extent, they become idolaters. They don't want the true God. They must seek some other. And so he says atheism and idolatry are the only alternatives to Christianity. Now, in order to reject, reject Christianity, one must either deny all gods or select some God to worship other than the God of Scripture. In reality, he tells us that they together form a single alternative, uh, for even the atheist must practically allow for some absolute, and uh, it's usually the atheist's own reason. Right. Right. I, I always uh, um, uh, critique this when, um, especially uh, uh, in modern and, uh, uh, I don't know, I, I'm not sure when you would put the timeline on it, but as uh, postmodern sci-fi, uh, there's always this want to um, uh, pull things out of our world and 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 put it into a, a new world, but you're still talking to the reader, and there's there's a, a way to reference the reader that you can't you can't say, well, then the the blueberry turned into a muffin, and so you're like, well, is it magic? No, that's just what it happened. Well, I I don't have any conceptualization of that. Like I I can I can imagine that, but to me that's just imagine um, uh, th there's there's something tied to that as, as a cause and effect even uh you know the, the magic spell is cast and then the blueberry turns into the muffin well you're still referencing a, a rationalistic world by even writing fiction and so the uh you know S superman can fly because he's alien okay well i you know i'll i'll, I'll grant you that but then uh you know if you trying to explain to me how, you know how he flies you have to reference me in in the real world in order to 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 make the system unless you're going to to there there's 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 a, a an effect or there's a cause to that effect and so um it's 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 not enough just to say well you know we we throw off everything and that's how we live but even then like you still you're still a rational being that that is going to try to convince me or try to convince yourself that that's the way to do things and there's the rational process of that it could be irrational and so 
you know, I, I always think of uh, praxeology in, in Austrian economics. It's the, it's the point of saying that, that people move and cause economic factors. It's not to say that people, you know, like chess moves are thinking of everything. They're, they might think, oh, you know, I want those 10 candy bars right now. And so I've, I want to pay the $10 rather than um, not have those candy bars. But uh, there's still an action. There's still rational thought that occurs. It couldn't be improper rational thought or uh, uh, not, not good uh, health or money management uh, rational thought. But there's still rationality that takes place. And so... Um, that's what frame is, is referencing here is that um, th there still needs to be some absolute that's in place. And so uh, where the, the atheist or, you know, if atheist too broad a term, then s select your own. Uh, there has to be some reason for somebody to uh, believe and live in the way that they do, or uh, you tend to come out the Camus way and, and start thinking about self-harm. So we're not mm. wanting to do that here. Yeah. <laughs> Well, epistemologically, idolatry tends to be less uh, relativistic than atheism. Indeed, idolatry accounts for the same, uh, for, for the, the rather dogmatic certainty that accompanies much unbelief. Consider the amazing certainty that many people have concerning the theory of evolution. At a time when theory has been subject to serious challenges, not only by Christians, but also by some secular scientists and logicians, why are they so certain and so determined to keep out of the school any discussion of its only significant alternative, which is creation, or at least intelligent design. Um, I was listening to a, a, a good interview uh, by a, um, a sci-fi author, uh, Robert J. Sawyer, very atheistic, and and I've, I've, I've thought about critiquing that interview uh, because on one end he says, you know, I don't believe anything that I can't look at my bookshelf and see. So, you know, if you tell me there's a cat up there, I'm more likely to believe, but if you tell me there's a dragon, I need to see it. But then he goes, but if you tell me that I live in a world where uh, we're living in a simulation, well, okay, then I can start to believe that. So an all perfect <laughs> being uh, who created everything, that, that that's, that's outside the realm of possibility where you have to see it. But, uh, you know, we're living in some type of matrix is, is, you know, is, 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 yeah. yeah, it's a, yeah. okay, that, that or uh, yeah. nothing happened. Uh, but he makes a, a good point of saying that uh, a, a lot of people, when uh, uh, intelligent design came into the foyer of, of talking, they wanted to uh, equate it with us crazy uh, young earth creationists. And so uh, not even intelligent design gets a place at the table, even though you have uh, really good people like Michael Behe and others um, uh, 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 sitting at the table wanting to talk about it. And so it seems to be more of a, a for power issue than it is uh, for alternative. And so he made a really good point in that video, which I always appreciate uh, even um, uh, uh, atheists doing. <laughs> well, uh, here the answer that is that uh, evolution has become for many a religious uh, presupposition, an idol. Uh, you know, it's it's the explanation for everything. Uh, why do we like scary movies? Well, because uh, your ancestors somehow had a gene that uh, told them to jump at the the, the snake in, in in the grass, and so because uh, uh, your ancestors were able to survive, you had that gene. Now, why don't we have genes that uh, tell us two plus two equals four? Why do I have to go to school for that? Wouldn't it be nice if we could just evolve in a way that we just learn and then pass on our learning to our children? I think that's more beneficial, but I guess that's not what evolution had in mind. Oh, darn. Well, it becomes the idol to lose that idol would for many to be to lose the fundamental worldview 
the framework on which they rely for order and rationality. It's one of the reasons why uh, Darwin got more popular as he did and why uh, people like Gould would would uh, come out and, and, and um, more atheistic people would um, put his ideas forward because uh, they needed to supplant. And, and it's not just, well, we do away with with uh, Christianity and everything's laid bare to us and now we can have hedonistic lifestyle or we can live at peace because all the crazy kooks are, are, are uh, not now rationalistic like us. Uh, no, it, it's an idea that needs to be, well, we need to give the people something or they won't continue to work or they won't uh, value life. Uh, so we need we need an, another opiate of the masses uh, to, <laughs> to convince people to, to, to do good. And again, uh, you know, well, you just need a God to tell you not to murder. Well, it seems to be if we don't have a God, then a lot of other bad things seem to be happening. So uh, I think the proof is in the pudding there. Yeah. yeah. And so what he does next is real briefly, he gives us uh, three or four reasons on why he rejects the theory of evolution, either at least the, the theory that uh, this idea of macroevolution. He says, for instance, in Genesis 2-7, um, it's a special act of God in breathing that makes Adam a living creature. Uh, God did not take an already existing living creature and make him specifically human as in theistic evolution. Rather, he took dust and gave it life. So, you know, Adam hadn't evolved to a certain extent and then all of a sudden became a person. No. God breathed into him and he became a living creature person. And so that's that's his first take, right? right. Genesis uh, 2 7. And he goes on and says that in places like uh, Genesis 1 and following, that uh, the frequent repetition of according to their kinds uh, indicates that there are divinely imposed limitations on what can result from reproductions. A cat can only produce a cat, it doesn't suddenly produce a lizard uh, no matter how many times it has eggs. That might be opposite, but still, uh, <laughs> he says that he does not know broadly these kinds should be constructed or how they uh, uh, relate to modern biological classifications as such as family, genus, and species. But whatever a kind is, these passages evidently imply that plants and animals of one kind do not produce plants or animals of another. But that is what must happen in the theory of evolution to be true. We started out as banana plants, and then we grew into to, uh, uh, ficuses, and because uh, it has more chromosomes than than uh, we do. But again, right. when we have more chromosomes than we do, uh, bad things uh, tend to happen there as well. So uh, it, it seems like the, the, these uh, uh, chromosomes uh, need to uh, change us, but not too much. <laughs> He goes on to say that although he's not well equipped to judge scientific evidence, that he'll simply add that as a layman, he's not convinced by the evidence presented to him for evolution. He says, doubtless, there has been what uh, is sometimes called microevolution, right? Variations in the distribution of genetic characteristics within a species due to natural selection, right? Like um, colored moths and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. uh, and, he's, and he uses this, right? He says, in some environments, moths of a certain color become more uh, predominant, and in other environments, those of a different color. You know, this color proves in different ways to be an aid to survival and reproduction. So that's kind of a micro change in terms of moth. But he says this amounts to variation within already existing genetic possibilities 
rather than a process that produces a whole new species, right? And uh, which requires a whole new set of genetic possibilities. And he doesn't see the evidence for that happening. Right. Right. We say that uh, Jesus is coming back and they go, well, where is he? Well, we just need time. And then we go, uh, you know, <laughs> I, I want to see a, a, a bird turn into a dog. Like, well, you can't do that right now. All you need is just a little bit of time. So there we go. We, we're, we're all we're all waiting. <laughs> uh, he goes on to say further, I agree with Philip Johnson that the real persuasive power of the theory of evolution is not the evidence adduced uh, 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 in the favor, but rather the fact that it is only viable alternative to theism. Indeed, evolution is necessary once one rejects creation, for either the earth was produced supernaturally, created, or it was produced naturally, that is, apart from God. Any naturalistic origin of the world would involve evolution, for it would be the result of natural laws operating on primitive matter producing complexity over time. Thus, the concept of evolution did not begin with Darwin, rather it began uh, it, it, it has been the characteristic of every non-Christian philosophy since that of Thales in the 6th century BC. So it's always been around. If you have any naturalistic philosophy, says you're going to have to have some type of evolutionary process because you have to get from, you know, non, for instance, mental to mental. You have to move that. So if you're going to do that, you have to have some type of evolutionary process. And so it's always been around. He then moves on to uh, what he calls idolatrous atheism. He says, as he's indicated here, idolatry and atheism are not as distinct from each other or opposed to each other as they might initially appear to be. Atheism, he tells us, needs idolatry. You cannot live consistently as a relativist without some constant, absolute meaning and life. And so this is the second or third time he makes this point, right? You need something in order to live consistently, some absolute meaning in life. You just can't say, no, it's all, you know, um, movements in the void or whatever. Like, <laughs> no, you need something to do that. And so you can't live, he says, consistently without something like that. And so atheism needs idolatry. And he says relativists are always dogmatic about excluding non-relativist ideas. For example, when they say that people should not impose their values on others, right? Right. <laughs> also, though, idolatry needs atheism. Uh, the choice of worship of uh, you know of a false god is ultimately irrational and rebellious. And thus, most unbelievers, he says, combine these motifs in various ways. They need each other is the point that he's making for idolatry and atheism. Right. How, how dare the, uh, the, the Christian baker not bake a cake for gay weddings? You're imposing your belief on us. Now get in the bakery and bake us a cake. <laughs> okay. I, I, I think someone's imposing and it, it's, it seems to, to, to yeah. be the other way around. Yes, yeah, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> Who's imposing what? Right. Yeah. Exactly. Who gets to impose, right? <laughs> Who imposes the imposers? That's right. Well, uh, Christian apologetic response uh, is the the next portion here, and he says that uh, let me, in a very general way, suggest strategies that cover a great many uh, actual cases. So he takes on first against uh, atheistic relativism. When you find an unbeliever who stresses the atheistic relativist side of unbelief, be persistent in asking these uh, two questions here: How can you be sure that relativism is right when it itself rules out all assurances? So this is the, there are no absolutes. Are you absolutely sure? 
Right. <laughs> that, that's the one we all know. Well, yeah, how yeah. can you live as a relativist is the second one. How can you live like that? Having no assurance of anything must be a terrible strain rationally, emotionally, and uh, volitionally. What basis do you have for making decisions? What basis do you have for criticizing the treatment you receive from others? So, okay, uh, you know, uh, uh, what's true for me is not always true for you. And so uh, this person came up to me and said, uh, give me your wallet or I'll shoot you. Well, that's just a funny coincidence that just happened right there. Uh, and so th I, I hope that person enjoys his new wallet. Well, no, that, that's not it. How dare he? This is my wallet. No, I'll not give it to you. Or uh, please don't shoot me. Why? Well, uh, uh, I don't want you to. <laughs> well, I do. Well, now we're running into uh, two opposing. Just what we want. Yeah. <laughs> right? Desires. Yeah. yeah, it's just a matter of desires, right? right. <laughs> Good. Yeah. So next, uh, against idolatrous rationalism, he says, when we meet someone who tends to stress the powers rather than the limits of autonomous thought and action, you will likely be dealing with someone in the grip of an idol. Uh, find out what his idol is and take aim by asking these questions. First, what basis is there for thinking that this uh, idol is absolute? Uh, also, does your God really do the job of a God? Did it create the world? You know, is it the ground of logic, mathematics, ethics, uh, value, a universal judgment in science? Is it adequate as a final standing of meaning, truth, and right? And so does it really do the job that, the, uh, that a God is supposed to do? And of course, right. you know, the implication is it doesn't, and you'll be able to help the person see that. Right. So this is the uh, the preconditionality of rationalism or, or yes. of, of intelligibility. Uh, you you know, uh, can, can you can you. Uh, OK, you want to be rational. Well, can you provide a system that provides you the ability to be rational is, is kind of one of the ways that uh, you might ask that question. And so, uh, you know, well, you know, evolution uh, gave me the ability to survive and rational uh, rationalism is, is one of those ways. OK, so uh, there could be a, another creature on the other side of Jupiter that uh, has evolved a different set of rationality. And so uh, th there's nothing wrong about that person. Well, no, it's got to be the same rationality. OK, so uh, evolution produced this universal physical trait that it imbued all living beings in, in the universe uh, with. And so uh, we go out and, and we have to operate in that way. Uh, and so um, you have to uh, um, kind of, uh, again, take, take that step back and say, okay, you want to use rationality, you want to use uh, science. Can, can, you, can you provide a system by which you're allowed to, to do that? Can, can you justify the reason? Not, not uh, well, it works. Well, okay, that's a, you know, a, a might makes right approach, but you're saying, can, can you provide me the, the system in place that allows you to stand on the, on the pedestal of science, of rationality, on your What's ethical standard? Right. What's the foundation of it? Right, exactly. Well, we, we know that an impersonal God can do none of these things. So the unbeliever will be tempted either to lapse into relativism or to grant to God, uh, his God some element of personality. Well, once he does that latter, he is granting part of our case, and we can pursue him further, especially by asking him, how do you know this person? So uh, I think rationality is, is, is one of those ones where we can say, uh, in, in order to have rationality, there has to be a mind. And so, okay, well, where does this mind exist? Can you, can you point to him? 
And so I can point to them. <laughs> and so uh, uh, from there, uh, we'll, we'll, we get onto the, well, how do you know um, this, this, uh, this intelligence or, or this uh, system is in place, this uh, supercomputer that controls all things. And then you just are taking a step back and, and saying, okay, so did the supercomputer always exist or, or have we always been in the matrix or is there something outside the matrix that, that we can, are we, are we irrational outside the matrix and only in here are we rational? Okay. So what we're seeing here is his, his uh, what he calls his very, these various arguments or at least challenges or questions against atheistic relativism, against idolatrous uh, rationalism, finally against atheistic idolatry. And he says here we press a fundamental contradiction in this rationalistic, irrationalistic combination. A proof that there are no proofs, an absolute statement that there are no absolute statements, he says. Then we attack the original ras rationalistic and irrationalistic elements, as we saw above, um, uh, he says it will not be easy. The unbeliever will slide from slide rather from one position to another, from rationalism to irrationalism, and back again. And so it says, in the end, really, argument itself will not be enough. God must intervene there. Thus, prayer, he tells us, and he ends the chapter here. Prayer is the ultimate apologetic weapon. Right? And so, even when we confront he's suggesting, and we get them to kind of somewhat admit this, it still won't be enough. We, we still need to go uh, to God about men before we talk to men about God. Is right. This is why uh, with reformed epistemology, uh, it's not enough to just break down all the barriers. You, you want to provide a, a, a position uh in in order to grab onto the life preserver and so that's why um i think he presented uh, the the evidence or uh, proof of the gospel um er earlier in this book uh because um he wants to stress that from a biblical perspective uh that's that's the ultimate uh, uh key you know you, we can talk about um evolution and the peppered moth and uh the, the scientists gluing them on to to show just how important impact the uh, humans had at uh at uh, developing the peppered moth but um ultimately uh it comes down to uh whether or not uh, one puts their their uh faith which is trust uh in in god to not just uh have risen from the dead but also to pay for their sins uh perfectly and so um that, that's uh that's what we want to drive home is the point for uh, the ultimate message it's not just to be contentious it's not just to have arguments but it's to have arguments for for a purpose and for the betterment of that person as well and so mm -hmm. not just to, to add numbers to our side like zombies uh, we want uh, uh, people to uh, live consistently and honor uh, the creator that created all things and then uh, go and uh, be with him uh, with, with all of us uh, as many people as possible um, in in the end so that's it for chapter nine and for chapter 10 he takes uh kind of a a uh, a different take and and wants to talk about how to talk to strangers and so i think this might be a little bit on his uh tactics uh maybe maybe uh not columbo but we'll see uh i don't know uh murder she wrote uh version from john frame uh side of uh chapter 10 as uh, when we turn back and finish up our book of apologetics a justification of christian belief next time Thank you and see you next time. See you next time.